but we, 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 we see Bartimaeus and Bartimaeus doesn't get spit on. This guy gets spit on. This guy doesn't get spit on and they both get the same thing. It, it really seems unfair if you think about it. Why do I have to get spit on and he doesn't have to get spit on? And so it, it's a comparison thing and like, and can, I think that's why Jesus had to take it away from the people because if the people saw Jesus spit on this guy, they would have got offended for the guy and be like, punching Jesus and be like, if that's how you're going to treat him, we see how you heal the other people. You healed him by just talking. All you did was say a word, all your shadow hit him and they just touched your garment. You got to spit on this. But, but, but if you compare yourself to what Jesus did to them, and if you compare your marriage to what God did in their marriage, and if you compare how God healed him from, delivered him from cigarettes and he, I mean, he gets sick every time he smells it and you still want to smoke a joint, you're going to be in a dangerously unhappy place because you're always thinking the way that God healed you, delivered you, set you free is how it's going to happen to me. And that's just not the case. Why did God have to spit on that man? I don't know. I don't know. But one thing I know is that man was sure glad he did. Yeah. And at some point we have to accept that how God works in my life is not going to be how God works in your life. Welcome to the Almost Apostolic Podcast. I'm your host, Anissa, and this podcast is designed to share the backstories and testimonies of beautiful ministry-minded people. I hope you laugh, and I hope you learn that we are all striving for perfection in an imperfect world as people of faith. So join me every other week as I interview a few familiar folks and hopefully some you may not know. All right, here we are, season three, episode one of the Almost Apostolic Podcast, and I'm here with my premier guest host, Pastor Matthew Tuttle. Hello. Hey there. How are you? I'm great. Good. Okay, I want to start with a brief introduction. Um, you can just start from the beginning and do like a quick overview on how you made it here to Vider, Texas. Good. Well, thank you for having me. It's such a high honor, and uh, to all our listeners, thank you for your time and uh, dedication to being apostolic. I am uh, Matthew Tuttle, and I currently pastor here at uh, Eastgate United Pentecostal Church in Vider, Texas. And the journey that brought me here is long, and, and we won't have enough time, and I won't bore you with the, the details, but uh, as a general theme, I was raised on the mission field in the country of the Netherlands, and my parents uh, went there when I was 17 months old, initially to Germany, and then we transitioned from Germany to the Netherlands. So when I was 17, um, I, my senior year of high school, um, I moved uh, from the Netherlands to Oregon. That's where I was born and our home church was. And I lived with our pastor there, rented a room in his home, attended my senior high school, worked a job, and then graduated. From there, I went to Indiana Bible College. After Indiana Bible College, I worked in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and uh, worked at a church there under uh, David Keller. Uh, worked a job and then, uh, you know, it was a uh, volunteer ministry and eventually into uh, administration and youth ministry at the uh, church there at Abundant Life. From there, uh, that's where I met my wife. And my wife is from Southeast Texas. She's about Port Arthur, Neyland. It's about 25 minutes from here. So after I married her, we lived in Indiana. And then a uh, year or two in, my father-in-law asked me to come and assist him there in Port Arthur. I came and uh, started helping him. And then from there, I started uh, preaching and evangelizing out. My dad asked me to eventually come to the Netherlands. He had been elected to be the regional director of the United Pentecostal Church for Europe and the Middle East. 
And so in 2000, whatever it was, I can't remember. <laughs> uh, I, can't, I came here in 15, so it would have been 2010. Um, I took the pastor of the, one of the churches that he had started there in the Netherlands. I pastored for five years in the Netherlands. And then um, the church I'm pastoring now, I had never actually preached in. I didn't know the pastor or any relation. But the Lord spoke my name to the bishop, which is now the bishop, Edwards. He didn't know me, uh, just knew my name in prayer two years before uh, we ever met. And then I was preaching um, a camp meeting uh, here in Texas. And he, uh, he, he saw my name on the flyer and said, oh, my goodness, I know that name. That's the next pastor of our church. And so the events then unfolded as he obviously uh, made that connection. And uh, God opened the door for me to come. And I've been here now for eight years in, in Texas. And uh, I really, really love it. I, I love Texas. Is it your favorite state you've ever lived in? You know, um, I I think so. I, I think you have to be in your favorite place wherever you're at. I've yeah. been blessed to be in, I've been to every state in the union and um, I've lived in several. Uh, everything has an advantage and disadvantage, but I uh, I believe with all my heart that you you should love the place that you 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 reside in and you're you're more effective when you're happy yeah. and so everything has seasons you know you're not always happy but as a whole i would say texas has its own uh, its own culture uh mindset that people are very proud to be texans it has very uh, somewhat still traditionally conservative american christian values coming from extreme secular, you know, a country like the Netherlands or even a secular state like Portland, Oregon. Um, it's almost nostalgically uh, beautiful and awkward to have Christian music in the grocery store. Yeah. So I think it's something that I, I love. It's a wonderful place to raise your family. And um, so I love, I love Texas. Yes. So what's one like fun fact that people might not know about you? Oh my, I don't know if there's any fun facts about me. Uh, uh, yeah, it's something interesting that people would Interesting. Um, I, uh, I don't really have a hobby. That's maybe interesting. I, I do, uh, um, I, 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 my dad raised me, we were teaching Bible studies and working. So that's that. Um, I'm very health conscious. I, I watch what I eat. I'm very, very, uh, you know, intentional about my diet. Uh, with something fun, I don't know. I, that's that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, okay. I, I don't know. I like to. I'm I'm getting my pilot's license. Oh, so, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. So, that is fun. Okay. Fly airplanes. Great. Okay, so I want this first episode of the season to be about consecration because it's a new chapter. We're in a new, a whole new realm, and so I want to talk about uh, the definition of consecration. Do you have a personal definition of consecration? Well, I, I love that, you know, that that's the subject. Um, and just for our listeners sake, I just found out that the subject matter three minutes ago. So this is unrehearsed or unstudied, yeah. which, um, is not, is not my nature. I'm extremely, uh, controlled, you know, I like to have study time and, uh, but, you know, consecration for my, um, again, this is from a three minutes of thought and, and of course the experience of my life. Um, is to be separated from and, and devoted to. And from my understanding, I know that in Scripture, that, that Aaron, there was a, a, a sacrifice, a ram of consecration. And it, 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 it had to do with, I know, again, I'm, I'm going off the fly here, but um, 
their garments were separated their uh their, and then they were to wave it that you know there was to be emotion and, and and so consecration is a reflection i think of inward change uh i, sh- I shouldn't say that the consecration is an inward separation that reflects with an outward demonstration and uh, it's a devotion to it's a willingness to say i'm separating and i think the scripture you know coming out from among them and be separate saith the lord and then it is the and i will be a father unto you and we can spend so much time on the coming out and being separate that we forget the coming in and being a father consecration to me is is how we are adapted or i should say adopted into um the body of Christ. He is seeking consecrated holy. So I, I kind of put them as words that work together. Holiness, holy people are a consecrated people. And I don't think you can be holy without being consecrated. I believe I, that consecration will be followed by holiness. Um, it's a decision you make willfully from, from where I see it, understand it. And I would assume you have probably a greater understanding of the word than I do, but uh, that's that's what I truly I truly believe it is. Um, so, if I've been in church all my life, all yeah. 30, 30 years, Great. but um, if I'm just now coming into the church and I see everything, I'm like, okay, this is the place for me. This is how I want to live the rest of my life. I want to be consecrated. What are some of the first steps as a new convert? Do you recommend somebody adapt for a life of consecration? Yeah, I think it's a great. Great question, but I, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if there's a cookie cutter answer. Um, I think consecration does look differently for the individual, but um, some overall concepts is again aligning consecration with with holiness of of heart of inward and outward. That um, the outward is the reflection of what happens inward. So um, I do believe that 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 it will reflect in all manner of who we are. But that progression happens differently, you know. Um, scripturally, in Matthew twenty-four, Jesus obviously gives the the order, I believe, of consecration when he says, uh, speaking to the the Pharisees of their hypocrisy, in that they wash the out of the outward side out, outward cup, but fail to wash the inside. And so he says, first. So in the words of Jesus, consecration would be first wash the inner man. I believe that consecration will start with a first inside. And I believe that it begins from the head and it works downward. So it's, it's a mind. The battles we rage are in the mind. It's the renewing of our minds. Um, it's the biggest battle we face. I think that's what we see manifest in our culture today with mental health being a, you know, a top tier subject. Well, well, all that is is, is, is is a battle in our minds. And so consecration begins with a mind. I choose. And once I make this choice in my mind, um, it must move from my mind into my heart because what I know has to translate into what I believe. And because they had not a love for the truth. So now my consecration is not just a ritual and that makes it hypocrisy, but what becomes a love and a relationship is the transferring from head knowledge into heart knowledge. I don't want to just know about God. A lot of people study the rituals they know the rituals, they can exercise the rituals, but they don't understand the depths of the relationship side of it. And so it becomes a head thing, not a heart thing. That, that's a setup for hypocrisy. So we, oh, Paul said, oh, that I may know him. He didn't say, oh, that I may know about him. A lot of people know about God and they get bitter 
Because if you know about God and you know that God can heal you and you know, because some people, I say, I say this often, some people study the Bible or know the God enough to be dangerous. You can know the God of the Bible and know and read about this God that can raise dead people. He can heal the lame. He spits on the ground and makes eyeballs. But then all of a sudden you get sick and he doesn't heal you and your, your grandmother gets ill or your daughter dies and you know the God that could raise him. But if you don't know him, you'll get angry when he doesn't perform according to your knowledge of him. So what, what, what keeps me from getting bitter in the times when he works in ways that I don't understand because I know you can, because I read your book and your book says you can, but my life says you don't. So why don't you, when I know you can, those people get bitter. And we all know people like that. They walk away, they give up on God. Well, if he's the God of the, why did so-and-so die? Why did this happen? Why did this negative event transpire? What they're saying is I know about him, but I don't know him. It would almost be better if you just didn't even know about him. And so those are very bitter. Some of the most angry people that you'll find in your life that are anti-God are people that know just enough to make them bitter. And so again, I digressed in that, but the mind is, is, is where it begins. It moves to the heart. And Jesus said, clean first the inner that the outer too may be. So if you're new at this and you're getting going, um, I had a new convert sit down at lunch with me just last week. Hey, pastor, tell me everything. I mean, just got the Holy Ghost on Sunday. On Tuesday, we're having lunch. Okay. Um, we, he's clotheslining me, you know, I'm going to not wear this, sleep this, go there, drink this, da, da, da. And, 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 and I did. I went down and said, yeah, those are things that you don't do. And those are going to be changes that you need to make. But I want you to work on daily prayer before, you know, you can dress right and not pray every day. So let's get the order right. Let's get the order right and uh, start on the inside. And then it will manifest on the outside. And, and you don't have to understand it all to do it either. You know, I don't understand uh, some things about God, but I do it and it works. So uh, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So I always had a theory about consecration. I always had it synonymous with commitment. And I don't know. I want to, I have this theory and I want to talk it out with someone to see if it's accurate or if this is just so throwaway, it's not even funny. <laughs> but my concept of consecration is like commitment. If I'm consecrated to a person, I don't know if you can even do that. I'm committed to that person. And overall, I feel like there's a lack of commitment amongst people. I feel like we're distracted now more than ever. We are in the most connected times, but we're so disconnected. It's odd to me. Mm -hmm. I don't really get it. And I feel like it's bleeding into different aspects of lives, like as far as relationships go. I don't, can you consecrate to a person? That's a great question. I mean, um, I would agree with you. I mean, based on, again, my, uh, I don't, I have, I can't honestly say I've delved into the subject with extensive research and study, but with the knowledge that I have based on my definition of what I think consecrate, believe consecration to be is the separating from and the devoting to. So in order to be consecrated to, and let's use an individual, I would have to separate myself from, I think marriage is a great example of consecration is I consecrate my, my devotion, my, my life my body to an individual, which is my spouse. And I agree with you. I think there is that we're in a more connected 
society, but we're in a less committed society. Connection doesn't mean commitment, right? I can be connected to you, but not committed to you. And so I, I, I do agree with you. I don't think your definition is wrong at all. I think that commitment is part of consecration. Uh, as a matter of fact, it might be the underappreciated side because we speak so much of the departure and man, you got to cut and I didn't come to bring peace, can bring a sword, father, mother, you got to love me more. Okay, absolutely. But let's talk about the committed side. If it doesn't leave you in La La Land. He didn't bring him out of Egypt to leave him in wilderness. There was out of Egypt to go into Canaan land. He doesn't bring me out of the world to leave me wondering. He doesn't leave us. I will not leave you comfortless. I, and so I think that God has consecrated in a way and committed himself to us. And so he's just saying, look, I, the groom, have committed to you, the bride. And all I ask is that you commit in like manner, loving me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you must love me more than you love your father, your friend, your family, um, which I would say is, is consecration. That's what exactly what we're talking about. And, and it's a beautiful thing. Even in conversation here, with the microphone and the computer, I can feel the presence of the Lord as, uh, you know, he moves here. And, and, and so I agree with you. Absolutely. I think commitment is a great part of consecration and, um, is very, very, very good definition. Do you feel like there's an overall decline in consecration as a pastor looking out at a congregation? Do you feel like people aren't making those individual consecrated relationships anymore? It's a, it's a great question. Um, I think sometimes we're pessimistic about the generation we're in because it's we have no point of reference. Historically, if we look at it in, in its full context, I think we see a, a rise and a fall of humanity throughout all of humanity, from, from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel to the time of Noah. Or to say we are less consecrated or committed than the people in the days of Noah, I don't know, Lot, Sodom, and Gomorrah. And we could then go through the nation of Israel, its rise and falls of good. He did that which was good in the eyes of the Lord. He did that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did that which was good. You know, so are there generations where we see that there's more consecration and less consecration? Yes. But, you know, so I don't know the context that you put that in, but I think in the grand scheme of humanity that, no, I think that we are just humans and that there have always been, uh, well, since the fall, the sin nature of humanity, that there have been those that have said, I'm going to choose. And there's going to be those that say, I choose not to. But I think where it comes down to, perhaps the question is less, is there less consecration in the people, but is there less consecration in the leadership? For as we see, the nation of Israel would go the way of the kings. The nation of Israel would go the way of the judge, it would go the way of the leaders. I think we can only rise to the level of our leadership's commitments. And I would say in modern Christianity, and I define modern Christianity as those who have departed truth and left consecration and dedication to, uh, to, to, to Bible apostolic doctrines, I see that um, leading to a less consecrated life in, um, in the sense of, of, of doctrines, doctrine, there's less value placed, perhaps more than ever, on doctrinal teaching, even if you go back 50 years, um, when, when denominal churches taught strong doctrine, you know, it would have never been that my great grandmother, uh, which, you know, now you're going back 75 years, uh, 
hundred years, whatever, that 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 a, a Lutheran would marry a Methodist. You know, that would oh, a Baptist marrying a Church of Christ. Oh my God, you know, this is not going to happen. And now it's very ecumenical because there's less consecration from those church leaders to their doctrines, their teachings, and their values. So in that sense, I think there's less consecration in the apostolic movement. I think it's a it's an incredible time. I think it's a season where we see a generation of young people that are saying, yeah, we, we want to separate ourselves. We are the churches that I am a part of that are growing are the ones that preach, believe, celebrate consecration. And we don't see that on the dec decline. We see that on the rise. So I believe that maybe there's it's a kind of a, a double edged sword in my answer there. But that's how I feel. Now that you mention it, I think I could see this concept in a pessimistic way because if i relate it to commitment right? right um if we take it to like where i'm at in like the dating world i feel like there's an overall lack of commitment if we like rewind cavemen they like have the innate desire to hunt and it's in them. If you don't hunt, you don't eat. And if you were a caveman and you saw a woman you wanted, you bashed her over the head with a club, threw her over your shoulder, uh -oh, the days. took her to your man cave, and then that was it. That was the end of it, you know? Yeah, and so yeah. I feel like we fast forward to this day, and you never have to leave your home if you don't yeah. have to. Yeah. You can work from your home. You can have yeah. your groceries delivered to yeah. your house. Yeah. You don't even have to own a car anymore. Right. And so that desire, I feel like, in like I would say single men who are pursuing marriage, I feel like it's totally just not there anymore. And men expect women to just jump into their direct messages and just say, hey, <laughs> you know, I'm available or yeah. just I don't really yeah. know because yeah. I'm not really technologically savvy in that aspect. So I, I don't really know how to gauge it. But if I relate it to commitment, then it's just not there for me i feel like it's a decline even with the church i feel the attitude of it doesn't take all that kind of rising up and so i just like if they are with that mind frame toward the lord they're really not going to be that great with me <laughs> and so i'm sure you have single women in your church that might oh, agree or no i think it's like i this. think you know from the from the perspective of relationships you know to validate your point that you know marriage is actually divorce rates are on the decline not simply because marriage rates are on the decline so people just aren't getting married because they don't want to commit because they don't want to consecrate and then once they do get married we still have very very high divorce rates why because people don't want to commit they don't want to consecrate but again if you look in the whole of scripture uh, solomon had uh, 300 wives and said he couldn't commit either obviously and whether that was for political reasons as some want to say i I believe maybe there's emerging both. Obviously, he had a generational sex addiction. Uh, we see it manifest in his father. We see it, uh, you know, we, you do have to realize David is a descendant of a prostitute. There's a generational curse that passes from the third to the fourth generation that obviously has been handed down there. David couldn't commit to his spouse, you know, so in the whole full context of history and in the relationships, uh, sin nature is part of who we are. Uh, but no, I mean, if you go back again, go back to my grandfather's generation, um, he, he drove a Ford and you don't drive a Chevy and you don't drive a Dodge. He worked for the same company for 30, whatever years where he started is where he retired. He read one newspaper and that was his newspaper. And of course we don't watch television, but that generation, 
they're ABC and they didn't watch NBC and their news anchor was whoever their news anchor was. And that's how they lived their lives and extremely devoted, dedicated into their jobs, their, their, their spouses, their everything. Now, you know, there's people will change jobs for just because they feel better somewhere else. They'll, they'll change spouses because the other one looks better. They'll, they'll, whatever, they'll flip through channels. There's how many channels on a television now? Innumerable. You don't like what Fox is saying? Well, read Drudge, Bright. There's a million different. So um, the fact that we have more options now has also led to less commitment. So I agree with you that, 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 that we are definitely in some sense in a less perhaps consecrated. I don't know if we're in a less consecrated. I think if you take and give the generation of David all of the options that we have, would they be any more consecrated? I don't think so. I think the world that they would be in, their humanity and flesh would render the same results, but there would be a remnant. There would be a people that would say, we are going to be the people of God. Because as I said before, consecration begins in your mind. And I choose to dedicate, consecrate, which is including commit my life to this person, this place, and uh, and this God. And uh, so... I agree with you. Um, and, and, and of course, I love this conversation because I love that you're coming at it from a single female's place. And I do see that. I see the, 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 that, that there are, there's a shortage of men just that are, but I, and on the flip side, I think there's a shortage of women, you know, that are just truly devoted, devoted, devout to uh, their callings and consecrations. You know, that there is a, perhaps a lacking there in some areas, but, um, I don't know. I'm privileged to see the apostolic movement from a global perspective. And I mean, there's a lot of incredible people that have made up their minds. Where do you think that wondering eye kind of stems from? Because like you said, we used to like start a job and retire from that job. But do you think it comes from like competition? Like you mentioned many options. So do you think it's like a spirit of, not a spirit, but like a sense of competition that's like, hey, you know, you can make 16 more cents down the road. (laughs) But it's just, I don't get where it's like, when did we stop as a people? And I mean, I'm seeing it more in the thick of it. You're seeing it kind of like on the outside, but where did we stop doing what we were doing with our one track mind and kind of lend that ear and kind of wonder and be like, oh, okay, well, this is, maybe this is better. Let me go try this. Or maybe this person is, you know, when, when did that start? Right. Well, I think it's always been that, like you said, you know, that, that David's on the rooftop. He's distracted by uh, the, 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 the Bathsheba. I, I, um, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't know if you can pinpoint it. Perhaps it's just what humanity has always been. And, and then the advent of modern technology and the things that have come along to, to add and compound to what human humanity already has always been, which is uh, a deep inability to devote and dedicate themselves to it. I mean, if, if humanity didn't struggle with consecration. If it wasn't, then why is it in scripture? I mean, it's all the way back in Leviticus that he's telling them consecrate. So obviously there was a challenge for consecration. There was a, there was people that just wouldn't consecrate then. So, um, you know, I don't know if there's one particular, I think it's humanity and then the plethora of distractions. And that's really, I've, I've, I've always, I've stated that before in, in teachings and preachings that the, the devil is the master distractor. You know, he, he doesn't necessarily 
care if you're doing heroin or if you're just distracted by Facebook, whatever he can do to keep your mind, because the mind is where it all begins, distracted from your your disciplines, your consecration, he wins. He wins. And so he just keeps throwing distractions our way. And um, so that I think I think that's it. He's a distractor. He's he's constantly really distracting. So be sober, be vigilant. You know, you've got to be vigilant for your adversary. The devil is a roaring lion. Bro. He's roaring. He's he's seeking your attention. We always say he can roar, but he can't bite. Well, what's the roar? It's a distraction. And so we see him roaring on the internet, social media, athletics, um, and all those things that are just just they're just you know weights and distractions. So. My uh, my January book of the month was Atomic Habits by James Clear. I don't know if you've read that book. I, I think I blink listed it. Okay. So, uh, yeah. He yeah. talks about how habits are formed in three steps. There's yes. a habit, a cue, and a reward. So the habit could be like biting your nails. So the cue would be you're nervous. And the habit would be you bite your nails and the reward would be you feel a little less nervous or you are distracted, you know. And so he talks about how the brain kind of makes patterns to speed up the process. So then it becomes you don't even know you're nervous. You're just kind of bored. And then you end up chewing your whole nail off and you're like, whoa, what happened? You know, like I've got nubs now. (laughs) Yeah. And so I feel like that's kind of what's happening, like through technology. And I feel like there's an overall lack. I feel like there's a decline of responsibility because your brain is trying to shoot you forward. And that has come into play with technology. Like now, you know, you had to go to the store and get what you want. And then maybe if you didn't like it, you can get another brand and kind of compare. But you yeah. were doing all that yourself. Yeah. Now, if you mention it, the government's already heard it. And right. so, boom, here it comes. Like, we heard you're looking for new toilet yeah, paper. Yeah. Try this. Yeah. <laughs> so that whole process has been expedited. And then, bam, here yeah. you are. And so I feel like it's an overall lack of responsibility. But everyone's just kind of okay with it. Yeah. And I yeah. don't know if it's just my type one, like, super alpha dog control freak personality that's like, everyone wake up and see the, you know, like what's going on? Or is it not really a thing? And I'm just crazy. Like, I want you to tell me, am I freaking out? Or is is this right? Like overall, do you see it? Or am I just talking? Uh, Yeah. You mean that, that people are, are they, you're saying like they're overly curious? Do you feel like there is a lack of responsibility with all of the options that we have available to us or is it all right and we can just power through like how are overall how are people moving yeah i I do think there is a a problem there you know but uh, in some sense god made us curious creatures you know that's the initial sin was a woman kind of looking where she shouldn't be curious about things. Curiosity is a beautiful gift because it was given to us by God. It's what drives us to seek him and find him and study and use that curiosity to know him in a greater way, to study the word of the Lord, to be, to find an uh, interest in our, in our significant others and be curious about. So curiosity is a beautiful thing, but I think the enemy, again, he takes things that are beautiful. Um, everything that God creates that's good, he just is a perverter. So what he does is he uses God's gifts and the beauty against us creating, like you said, whether that's meat. Now there's more places to fulfill and, 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 and the labor that's required for curiosity has been removed. You can just you can know everything about everything with a Google search. 
with pictures involved. And so the labor's kind of been taken out of the curiosity, I think, which that's what consecration is. Consecration is I'm curious, but I'm consecrating myself to the and devoting myself. I, I, I love that word that you used and dedicating myself to studying and finding and and so uh, and getting to know. And I think that that's that's what God wants. God, God, seek. He said, seek me and you will find me. Use your curiosity to pursue after me and you will find me. Isn't that what every marriage wants? A woman wants a man to seek her, to love her, and then to pursue her the rest of her. That, that, that there's this book that never ends. And I want you to be reading it and finding me in the beauty of that. And I think the man does as well. But now the nothing is left to curiosity because it's all answered before you're nine years of age on an internet site. And I think that's a dangerous place we're at. So you mentioned the mental health aspect of things. And of course that comes into play when you like rapture your mind. And lately in the season of life, I've been praying for like spiritual blinders because I cannot, something about social media that has always bothered me has been that you're trading your present moment. I'm trading what's happening right now for somebody else's past moments. Oh, wow. They've already been on the vacation. Wow. They've already eaten the meal. They've yeah. already done the thing, but I'm investing my hottest commodity, which is mm. my time right. into what somebody else has already done. So that weirds me out. People think that I'm like this social butterfly media girl, but I really like post more content than I consume just because I don't want to ingest lots of people's reality. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so I know it totally wasn't like that. And I know your baby cried the whole eight hours right, of that road trip. Right. Well so said. Yeah. I don't really care about that. Yeah. But I yeah. do feel like there's like a huge competition aspect of it. And even if it's not, we're like, this is my best face. This is my best, right. you know, right. and it does bleed into like the dating world. And I'm not on any like dating apps, but I keep my Instagram account like up to date, it's not 18 years old where I look totally different because it's kind of like a virtual, like not menu, but like a, Hey, this is what she looks like. And my right. biggest fear is like, Oh, let me find a good picture of her. I would hate that. Right. I would be mortified. So everyone's putting this like big, not facade. It's yeah. not a facade. It's it, just, it really is. But it's so much. And it's a huge, not, not all of it, but yeah, it's a huge yeah. thing to deal with. Yeah. It's a great point. You know, uh, on the topic of social media, I think conservative and even some liberal psychologists and just even commentators are coming to the conclusion that social media is destructive. Um, they're they're non-Christian, just smart people who look at the numbers, analytics and study that have, have determined and I've been reading about it recently that they're, they're not going to allow their children to be uh, on social media. They're not gonna allow them to have cell phones until they're adults because of the psychological and damage that it does to us, getting us living. I love that you said that. I don't wanna live my present in someone else's past. Wow, it's the truth. And, and I think that social media is a robber. It's a thief of joy because the greatest, the greatest thing that steals joy that I see is comparison. And Paul is very, very clear that we are not to compare Ourself. Not only does it rob you of joy, I believe it robs you of miracles in your life. And because you, again, you, you, you start comparing. I, I think a great biblical, as a pastor, I will always use the Bible as, a, as an illustration is, um, you know, you have a man in, I believe, was it Luke 10 or Luke 8, who's 
um, and forgive me if I get my reference wrong, but Jesus, you know the story, he spits, he's blind. And the Bible says that they bring him to Jesus. And then Jesus takes him out of town. He takes him away from the very people that brought him and he spits in his eyes and he's healed. You know, I see man trees, he touches him again, and then he's fully restored. Two chapters later, um, the uh, Bartimaeus is on the, and we preach a lot about Bartimaeus. We hardly ever preach about the guy that got spit on because everybody wants to shout. Nobody wants to get spit on. Yeah. But they both got the same thing. But we, 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 we see Bartimaeus and Bartimaeus doesn't get spit on. This guy gets spit on. This guy doesn't get spit on and they both get the same thing. It, it really seems unfair if you think about it. Why do I have to get spit on and he doesn't have to get spit on? And so it, it's a comparison thing. And like, and can, I think that's why Jesus had to take it away from the people. Because if the people saw Jesus spit on this guy, they would have got offended for the guy and be like punching Jesus. And be like, if that's how you're going to treat him, we see how you heal the other people. You healed him by just talking. All you did was say a word. All your shadow hit him and they just touched your garment. You got to spit on this. But, but, but if you compare yourself to what Jesus did to them, and if you compare your marriage to what God did in their marriage, and if you compare how God healed him from, delivered him from cigarettes, and he, I mean, he gets sick every time he smells it, and you still want to smoke a joint, you, you're going to be in a dangerously unhappy place because you're always thinking the way that God healed you, delivered you, set you free is how it's going to happen to me. And that's just not the case. Why did God have to spit on that man? I don't know. I don't know. But one thing I know is that man was sure glad he did. Yeah. And at some point we have to accept that how God works in my life is not going to be how God works in your life. That my marriage is going to have conflicts and my kids aren't going to be the perfect little angels your kids are. And if social media is how I filter a marriage, a family, then I am going to be of all men most miserable because I'm comparing myself to which is false reality. But the truth is I have friends that I know outside of a Facebook world that their kids are angel dolls. I mean, I'm talking like these kids, I don't know. I mean, I think they, I would say they fart and it smells like unicorn burps, you know, but my kids are like, ah, and I'm like, well, I'm doing the same thing he's doing. I'm, I feel like I'm even a better dad than he is. How come is he's, and I could get bitter at God. Yeah. And I could get angry because he's got it good and I got it bad. And I could look at your car and my car and, 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 and everything. And so that's what social media just kind of perpetrates and maybe not perpetrates. I should say it magnifies that. And so we live in this constant state of misery because we're in a constant state of comparing. And comparison is or steal is the robber of contentment. I see that because I, like I said, I'm 30 and um, I've been invited to weddings of girls I used to babysit. Right. And it's so hard to walk in there with a smile on my face saying like, I just changed your diaper last week. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And yeah. so, but who's to say what the state of their marriage would be? Because each person that's getting into this commitment is still going to have to learn about themselves as time goes on. Yeah. Me, I've had over a decade to learn about myself and how I want to be and follow the, you know, Proverbs 31 guideline and blah, blah, blah. So I could have a smoother sailing marriage because it was later in life, but because I was more intentional in my singleness, it could just 
be a little bit better. Not to say their marriage won't be great. They will probably live to see their grandkids longer or something. Like there's always some kind of trade off. But all I know is with social media, it's just like there's people that I know for certain because they have told me personally, if I could jump out of this marriage, I would. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's more people that are uh, miserable married than miserable single. Yeah, I always say that it's better to wish you were single, wish you were married while you were single than to wish you were single while you were married. And because you can't get out of the marriage. And Paul even says it. He says it's better to be single. I mean, because uh, like I say, I counsel 95% of all counsel requests are marriage issues. Um, the rest of them are purpose. 0.01% are single people saying I'm going to kill myself because I'm single. Now I'm not saying they're not saying they don't come in here. I'm alone and I desire companionship, but it's not, Oh my God, I'm going to kill that guy because they're, yeah. and, and I get that often, you know, I'm going to kill her. I kill him. And maybe not, you know, those literal words, but you can feel that anger in there, you know, in their voice because again, yeah, social has contributed greatly to Hollywood has greatly contributed to this false narrative. And, um, and I, I think that that's a, that's a bad thing. And I feel like that comparison, like I said, um, the person who told me, you know, Hey, I wish I was single or whatever, but then they post the happy anniversary to the love. Then it, it creates a door to open for gossip. And now I have never really indulged in gossip. I don't know what my little vice would be if I wasn't in church, maybe it'd be crack cocaine, but but gossip has just never been my thing just because I, want to know the whole story. I want to know the origin all the way to the end. And gossip doesn't provide that for right, me. This is right. like, look at this bad thing that they did. Isn't that terrible? Right. And I'm like, okay, well, how did it get resolved? Like, right. how did it end? Yeah, and they're yeah. just like, well, I don't know. I'm like, I'm not down with the right. cliffhangers. Right. I can't do that. Yeah. But I do feel like that opens a door for serious gossip because you say one thing personally, like one to another, and then you post a different thing. And it's just kind of like, but I know it's not all this. And so gossip gets really, I don't know what the word is. It kind of like infiltrates. What's the word when like roots get like really seedy, but it doesn't really manifest, you know, like it just, it's gross. Yeah. yeah. It's it's, it's, (laughs) it's an abomination. And I'm like, why do people feed into that so well. Like, why is that so, I think apostolics feel like there's a lot they can't do. I can't smoke. I can't mm-hmm. drink. I can't do all these things. Right. But what I can do is I can talk about you. Right. And then right. we can, we can turn it into a prayer. Request. Right. So we can right, say right, bless right. their heart. And that right. puts a little bow on right. it. And I'm justified because I'll be mentioning it in prayer right. tomorrow right. when I pray over my food. Right. And so why is gossip and comparison so desirable to some do you know well uh, there's pleasure in sin for a season and so um, sin is pleasurable there's something that makes you feel good and so gossip scientifically has been known to release dopamine and so it actually releases dopamine endorphins and so you physically feel good while you're gossiping and so that's why there's like your heart rate goes up it's like this anticipation of a and uh, we're going to cannibalize this person. And, um, and and so that's the reason is because there's pleasure in sin. It's And that's why you feel bad after you did it. Just like there's pleasure in, in uh, uh, premarital or uh, 
sex or there's pleasure in adultery. There's pleasure in cocaine. There's pleasure in every sin. He doesn't, he doesn't bring sin and present it to you as unpleasurable. It's presented to you with great pleasure. And so, as you said, gossip and strife and the sowing of discord brings some, uh, brings some great feelings with it, but it's um, perhaps more deadly and dangerous than uh, cocaine because it's not just destroying who's ingesting it, it's destroying who you're spewing it about. Mm. And I think that, that, um, that it's, it's definitely, you're right. And I think that there's, again, back to our social media, it is just a place to, to advance. There's entire pages given to um, destroying people and cannibalizing them and, and eating them alive in essence and then spitting them out. They don't even eat you down to the bone nowadays and they don't have to have proof. They don't need evidence. And if they're wrong, they never go back and say, oh, by the way, we said this about this pastor, preacher, saint, singer, and we were wrong. There's never been an admission of I made a mistake. And you can't tell me in the existence of the entire group that they haven't made a single mistake. So um, the best thing to do is to treat it like every other sin and abstain and say, I'm, I'm not going to put a smoke pot and I'm not going to gossip and I'm not going to follow pages or be associated to people that sell pot and celebrate pot or premarital sex or pornography. So I'm just not going to be connected to a part of contribute to gossip. I just don't have anything to do with it. There's, there's certain forums and pages I'm not on. And there's other people And the Bible says, is it Romans 1? 32, if you are getting pleasure from these things. So even to go just read it, well, I'm not contributing. Yeah, you read, you read it. And you can't put your eyes on something bad and it not cleave to your soul, the Bible says. So I don't want, I, I just don't, I don't, I, people call me, hey, did you hear, do you know? I don't know. And I don't want to know. And if they call me too much to tell me, I stop answering their calls. And I don't care who they are. My spirit wants to be pure. And that's hard to do in a dirty world. I think so. Yeah, it, it is a lot because everyone wants to say like they're venting and it's just, but Pastor Myron Wyman Jr. said like vents go into other rooms, you know, so they're venting, but then you never know. Like, it's just, it's seedy to me because it's like, as much as you want to tell me about someone else, when you ask me how I'm doing, I'm, bless God, I'm good. Right. Period. Right, <laughs> right, it. right. There's nothing else I want to tell you just right. because it gets so misconstrued like that game of telephone where if I do tell you, right. hey, I'm really struggling right. with this. Oh my goodness. Yeah. By the time it goes through the congregation and gets back to me, they're like, we heard you were about to blah, right. you know, and I'm just yourself. like, yeah. 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 I'm like, uh, no, I, I got a speeding ticket and I was just really <laughs> kind of bad. So nothing a carton yeah. of ice cream yeah. can't fix. Right. But wow, it's I just, it's amazing yeah. how it all gets back to you and it's it's all magnified and everyone puts a little clot of dirt on it. And then by the time it snowballs to you, it's disgusting. Yeah. And it's just, it's so sad. It is. But yeah. I want to bring it back to like your mind and mental health. And just like, I think one of my biggest struggles is rapturing all the negative thoughts. Because I, I could let negative thoughts consume my entire life. Just me being a perfectionist, I used to put on negativity like a blanket at night. And it was just like, I lulled myself to sleep with all the things that I'm not. Yeah. And all the things that I don't have and how it's just not even my fault. And I'm just, oh, so woe is me. And it's just so terrible. But I read this book by Norman Vincent Peale. And it's called The Power of Positive Thinking. Mm -hmm. Have you read that? Uh, um, 
I've heard of the book. I don't think I've read it. Okay. But I know the, the concept. Our, um, our pastor recommended it, and he talked about how your brain likes to do the shortcuts. And so if you say any negative thing, you say, oh, I can't draw. The next time you sit down and the next time you sketch something out, you're not going to like it. You're going to be dissatisfied because for 25 years you said, I can't draw. So when you look at it and you feel like you can't draw, your brain is like, we did what you said. You said we can't draw. And so aren't we doing great? And it takes so much longer and so much more intent for your mind to say, no, I'm a great artist and I appreciate every opportunity I have to be creative. And then eventually but it takes so much longer because your brain has been trained to do it this way it takes so much longer for you to create those new neural pathways and to start loving your creations yeah. and so it's weird that it does do that and i'm trying to figure out why it is that way but when i want to be committed to god to my marriage to my family to my church what do i need to say like how do i start creating healthy habits in the mind, just any kind of negative thought combating it. Do I just flip it on its head? And when someone says, okay, they're gossiping about you, just say, no, they're not. Or like, how do I change it to be like, you know what, I'm going to make this work for me. Yeah. Mentally. Yeah. Yeah. I think the direct answer, I mean, I I always love when books and authors just validate scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, really the only book you truly have to read is the Bible. It yeah. really all is in there. But if you want to see a scientific or a philosophical uh, author prove the Bible true again, that's nice. It's like a nice little supporting thing. I know this whole conversation has been like this book, Bible, this book, right, Bible. Right. Which <laughs> is great. Yeah. I mean, it's great. It's great. I mean, reading is, yeah, is an incredible gift that we have. Books. Uh, I mean, I think some of the, again, we have information overload. People mm-hmm. can get so distracted and, and reading about the Bible and reading about subjects. You've got the author right here. Who's, who's here's the manual to your whole life, your physical, spiritual, and emotional well-being. Everything's found there. And so it's in the scripture. It's uh, he says, I can do all things through Christ. That is a positive verse. But I think what's so cool about this conversation is that, that the setup for, I can do all things through Christ is linked exactly to what we've been talking about because you know if you take it in, the, in in its face value i can do all things through christ well can you fly can you jump out of an airplane and survive no you can't also then you can't do all things through christ so he's not obviously talking about your ability to do things that are just not physically that are outside the realms of the context of that is in uh contentment he says i've learned to be a base and a bound he said i've been beaten i've dried cold showers and hot showers i slept on the dirt and i slept in the hilton i mean i know how to get i he said but i have learned whatever state i'm in there to be he, i learned and if you learn something that means you did it wrong once so paul knows what it's like to go down the negative journey in your mind it's cool to think that this great apostle and who wrestled with some kind of thorn in the flesh and some people want to say it's his blindness but he didn't give us the name what it was so that we could have our own but perhaps it was he struggled with mental positivity he said because i had to learn and if you had to learn it means you weren't born with it you didn't know how to walk you learned to walk the way you learned is by falling and so he fell into the trap to believe that in some way contentment could be found in something other than Christ Jesus and in my relationship with God. He said, so once I've learned and I found contentment, he said, when I'm content, I can do all things through Christ. 
it, it, that's what that's about is finding your finding contentment in Christ. And so when you know who you are, when you know who you are with uncertainty and equivocally, undeniably, I know that I'm a white male. They can come up and say, oh, I heard Brother Tuttle is a black man that's six to five foot one and, and be like, <laughs> I'm going to laugh out loud because I know who I am. Yeah. And so when I, so that I don't have to object to anything and I sure don't have to get dirty at it because I already know mm -hmm. that's not true. So Jesus, when confronted with lies, gossips, and false accusations, didn't even answer. He was silent. And because he's like, yeah, none of that's true. And if you speak truth to a liar, a liar will take it and make a lie out of it because a lie has no end. It's per per perpetual. So you don't have to, someone who's lying, there's nothing you can do but be quiet. Yeah. And so to know me, I must know God. And when I know God, I'm content with me. And there's no greater joy than, you know, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love thy neighbor as you love yourself. There's nothing greater, I think, than falling in love with God because then I fall in love with me. And the most enjoyable people you spend your life with are people that love themselves. Yeah. It's the fat dude. That's cool being fat. Yeah. It's the skinny dude that's cool being skinny. It's the short little dude that makes fun of being short. It's the balding guy that's bald. It's the guys, the people that just accept who they are, their personality, their their gender, their, you know, and and, and, and all of these things. And, and they're enjoyable. They're fun. And so the worst thing that could happen is you marry somebody that's not content with who they are. And then some way they're trying to find that in you. And that's a problem we have. So, um, yeah, I, I think to just to point blank answer the question, when someone speaks an ill lie, something untruth, he answered them not a word. That's go in your room and laugh because that's not true, <laughs> you know, but it's nature to, to let it kind of, you know, get into our minds and spin. I do that too. We're all human, you know, and I have to tell God, God, you heard what they said about me. That is not true. That is not true. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I hope that makes sense. It does, it does. And I feel like we could talk about anything for quite some time, but I, I will wrap it up because yeah. we're very busy people. So <laughs> I have like two kind of ending questions. They're actually back by popular demand this year. Okay, so I will ask you first, excluding Jesus Christ, Yeah. if you could have dinner with three people from the Bible, oh. who would you have dinner with? Why and where are you taking them? It's a three-part quotation oh, question. Wow. <laughs> Completion. <laughs> three people that I could have dinner with. Where would I take them? And why? Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. That's a great question. Like, why are you choosing them? Yeah, where yeah, are you yeah, taking yeah, them? Yeah, 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 yeah. Why would I choose them? Oh my goodness. That's a really hard question that I, I would hope that when God asked me, he would give me at least 24 hours. Oh my goodness. You got this. I'll, no, I'll go yeah. first. Okay. Yeah. I'll start with Mary, the mother of Jesus, okay. because I really want to know what she was doing, you know, yeah. like her everyday routine to get the attention of the God of our universe. I'm like, what? What were you, I know she was like tilling to the fields and little things like that, but I was like, what were her daily disciplines and routines to carry the God of the universe in flesh? Like, how did you do that? Like, what, yeah. 
did you stumble upon? Like, what's really going on? I'd want to talk to her like one-on-one girl chat style. But I love Paul. Paul and I have the same personality. He's like, I'm better than all of y'all and I'm still the scum of the earth. You know, (laughs) Paul is just like, hey, we're here, we're doing it. And I can just see it. Like, tell me how it really is, Paul. What was really going on? What did it smell like? Like, I know he'll give me everything and it would be great. I also admire the faith of Job because I don't have that. Job's faith was like, my flesh is falling off and I love the Lord. And I'm just like, if things don't go my way at the red light, I'm ready to (laughs) say some words. And so I want to talk to Job and just say like, how how did you do it? Like the faith aspect, I've mentioned it billions of times on this podcast. My faith is growing, but I didn't realize how low it was like i had faith that the sun would come up because the sun has come up every day for the past 30 years of my life but to have faith for like a human tall apostolic husband who loves me and only me i'm like i can't see that like that's <laughs> like mm, maybe not isn't that so strange oh, i have to I build my faith according to that yeah. so mary job paul and then we'd go to some like super crazy restaurant where they serve it all just because I don't know everybody's like dietary oh, yeah. needs. Oh, good. But yeah. Um, yeah. just, you know, or maybe I'd cook. I, oh, I make a good chicken and yeah. dumplings. Like that, maybe yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But okay. It's, now. A, it's a great, great question. You know, yeah. and, and I love Mary. And I was, you know, initially when you said it, I was like, man, I'd want to talk to a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I think women in the Bible are. Uh, I think women today look at the Bible sometimes as a male chauvinistic book because um, we're in a very strong, which I, I appreciate and value that we have a, that women have such an incredible voice and value. Mm-hmm. And I think God has always valued women equally with men. I think that cultures and societies have devalued the, you know, women. And, and uh, but to see, you know, and this is a totally off the subject, so you can edit it out, but I just, I think as a strong, obviously a very strong woman, and I'm married to one, Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, was was a woman in the Bible's days who's perhaps their, their value, they weren't numbered, but was their joy, they were, they were sold as property, they were uh, dowry, you know, like you wouldn't, like this great struggle you're not in a great, but not just you, but that we see it across this culture, especially with women, because we have men that are kind of neutered. That wasn't the day. I mean, you're married because, um, yeah, you, you know, here's 16 goats. I'll take your way in. You know, my question is, were they less happy? And, and we don't know because we weren't there. Um, and, and, and I don't know, did they feel less valued? Was there, I would love to talk to a woman to experience the, that, that thing, you know, um, I I think that the Bible women would love to live in 2023. I really do. I think they would just be like, Whoa, this is awesome. You know, but were they happy? Were they unhappy? They didn't know that there was even the option to have a car and freedom and power and be the president, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that that's a wonderful thing, but sometimes I just wonder how women, I, I feel sorry for women sometimes reading the Bible and that's just me being very candid, yeah. but do, is my is that feeling justified? Or were they just like, no, it's great. I don't know, it's just really interesting to me, but I don't know. So you can eliminate all that from the podcast. I'm keeping it. And we can say, um, 
you know, so it, it, but then you, you know, you take Mary, I think Mary or Esther would probably be too, but I'm, I'm not going to say them. I'm probably going to go with, um, I'm probably going to go with Elijah. Elijah, you know, it's really, really hard to pick anyone, but I just see him as a, um, I love his courage, but I also love that he got discouraged. And so I think that, that, um, you know, man, the guy is just so, so in my opinion, uh, bold, he's in a really, he's in a politically challenged time, but he's not, a, he's, he's, he's afraid, but he's not afraid. He's bold. And then he's, he knows what it's like to feel like a failure. Um, and I think those emotional highs on those I can really relate to. And so that's why I would want to know him in that capacity. Um, he was, he was raptured, you know? And, uh, so that's, I just, I, I love him. I love Elijah. Um, of course I love them all. Uh, moving to the New Testament, I would want to meet Peter, you know, probably that's a top star, you know, but, um, Again, his personality is that high highs, low lows. You know, he's preaching the day of Pentecost, but man, just a few days ago, he's been cursing. He's uh, failed, but victory, but he's courageous. He's not afraid. He's a leader. Um, he's outspoken. He's not perhaps overly educated to the point that, you know, even he struggled sometimes reading Paul's writings, you know, and um, I love his courage. I love his faith. Um, and, uh, I would love to just, just hang out with him for a day. Um, I, I don't know where I would take these guys to eat. Um, probably like Papa Do's, uh, you know, I'd be like, look, that's fishy. Because they were obviously <laughs> fish eaters. Yeah. I'd be like, listen, I'll, let me show you some real Cajun fish. So we'd probably go to Papa Do's and, have, and I'd get him whatever, Sam Alexander. Um, and then the third one, I, I agree with you. You know, um, it's real, I, Paul, I, it's between Paul and John. I'd love to sit down with Paul just as the theologian and really just be like, dude, what were you saying here? Cause yeah. I have no clue. <laughs> like you were really hard to understand. Like you, you really fry my brain and it would be so nice if you could write like James, John and Peter, <laughs> like just make it clear, you know? Um, but I love that you obviously have given yourself to study and, uh, and the word of the Lord and your, uh, your, your devotion, dedication, and the, the conversion. Uh, it's just, I, I, I agree with you. I think Paul, Peter, Elijah, and John would be because he's a worshiper, but I don't get four. And we would all go to Papadose together. So, cool. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Well, yeah. that's good. Yeah. All right. Final question of the episode. And this was very controversial, so I remain neutral on the okay. subject. Okay. But do pineapples belong on pizza? <laughs> No. No? No. Okay. No. Well, there you have it. Absolutely. There you go. Well, okay. thank you for joining me for the first Absolutely. episode of the season. Yes. I oh, appreciate what it. What a high honor. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Almost Apostolic. If you enjoyed yourself, please do us a favor and leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And until then, thank you for listening.